0: Great to see you here this morning. This is not all we do in our church. We have communities that meet throughout the week, as Ryan talked about. Love to have you be a part of that. But we also want to be serving people. And there's a lot that we can be doing, but we focus on uh, serving specifically vulnerable children and widows and widowers with uh, three uh, groups that we partner with, and two of them are here today. Uh, There's a group called Safe Families that we'll hear about later in the fall about connecting with vulnerable children. But this morning we have two groups here. One of them is called Project SOAR, which will match you as a college student with a student here in Evanston that you can mentor and coach and encourage. Many of our students are involved with Project SOAR. You can go learn more in the lobby later and sign up. And also Senior Connections is here where we match families and individuals with a widow or widower in our community and just meet with them and encourage them. So Senior Connections is here too because we want to be a church that, that doesn't just serve ourselves but serves other people, where the gospel doesn't just terminate on us but it spreads out to others. And so let's go ahead and just, as we, before we get into the word, just pray for ourselves to be listening to the word and obeying it. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Father, your word says a lot, and sometimes we just get, to be, we get content that we can just come here and we listen and we move on, but there's many of opportunities for us to obey, to walk in holiness, to walk in justice and mercy, and stir some of the people up here right now to serve vulnerable children, and those who are widows or widowers, stir us up to be servants. And Lord, as we get into your word this morning, I just ask, is it does not return void, which we know it never will, but we may not harden our hearts to your word. I just ask, God, that you would do a significant work within us where we hear it, obey it, worship you, filled with joy, and bring all glory to you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Glad you're here. I'd like to welcome the students back, especially the freshmen. You picked a good Sunday to visit as we are starting the book of Revelation. So as you begin your college career, just know that the world is going to end. Money well spent, right? And of course, the point of Revelation is, is not trying to uh, discourage you from going all out living your life, but it's supposed to give you perspective. Someone wants to put it like this, knowing how history ends help us, helps us understand how we are to fit into it now. Because we know the end, we understand what we're supposed to do now. We, we know God's plan, how it, how it all wraps up, and that's supposed to help you discern what to do now because you're going to have a lot of choices thrown at you, some good, some not so good, and you've got to figure out, okay, how am I going to follow the Lord before he comes back? So God's unfolding plan can give you wisdom on how to discern to live your life now rather than become preoccupied with the world. Now, I'm going to say a little term here that you're going to hear throughout the sermon. And and it's been said that that revelation helps produce a counter-reality, a counter-reality to the prevailing reality offered by this world. Because what this world and the culture often offers is not lasting, it's not fulfilling, but it's often blinding you to experiencing God and His grace and living in His kingdom. I know you don't think that. Most of you are not thinking, okay, my culture, my world is trying to blind me from living in God's ways, his kingdom. But, but that's what's happening on a daily basis. For those of you who are a little bit older like myself, you, you may remember the movie The Matrix, yeah? It, it displays this contrast of worlds as computers have blinded the humans so that they cannot comprehend that they are living in an illusion, now, when I saw this back in the day, I thought, wow, this is just the greatest movie ever. I want to convey and teach others not to be blinded, but to follow Jesus. And so I was teaching at a Bible school at the time, uh, teenagers, uh, 7th grade through 12th. I was teaching them the Bible, and I thought, wow, wouldn't it be awesome to show this movie at this Christian school? So um, how am I going to show a rated R movie at a Christian school? So I found this version of The Matrix, no joke, VHS, if you know what that is, VHS tape, goes into VCR. Uh, okay, never mind. All right, so I get, I get this edited version of The Matrix. It edits out all the language, and it edits out all the violence. So it's basically about a 10-minute movie. So I... Uh, <laughs> Right? So I get the permission to show it to these teenagers and we're watching it and I'm like, yeah, do you guys see that? That's you. You're being blinded. You're deceived and you need someone like Neo to come and rescue you from your deception. Main character. Yeah. He rescues people, the humans out of their deception and that's Jesus. And I have no idea. These teenagers were scared to death of me. I have no idea if they understood what is happening in their own lives, how we can be deceived by this world. We can be deceived by the evil one into thinking that this is reality. And what the book of Revelation is doing, it's breaking in and it is saying, no, 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 this is not all there is. And it's offering a counter-reality because God wants us to live these counter-cultural lives where we're living for His kingdom where we're not compromising, where we're not accommodating to the world. And what you're going to notice is this affects all of life. This affects how you do relationships. I heard of a relationship recently with a a guy and a girl who are interested in one another and, and getting married one day, and they're actually not living together. I was... Praise God, right? That's countercultural. And there's a lot of things like that that you see that are the norms of the world and how you do career, how you do your major, that are just normal ways that, that contradict the word of God. So how do you live a countercultural life? How do you live this counter-reality life? That's what the book of Revelation is showing us. It's showing us God's unfolding plan so that you can stay strong. So that you can live this counter-cultural life, this counter-reality life, that there is something else going on besides what you just see and experience, the norms of this world. So let me set the, the context a little bit of this, this counter-reality in the book of Revelation. If you know, if maybe you see it in your Bible, it was written by the Apostle John as he was in prison on the island of Patmos for his faith in Jesus. The church during the apostles' time was under pressure and persecution. The book was likely written around 81 to 96 A.D., while an emperor named Domitian was the ruler of the Roman Empire. By this time, most of the apostles have been martyred, and paganism is ruling the day. The church is suffering and struggling under the Roman rule, and some people are teetering in their faith, and as the believers were suffering in what seems to be the only reality of the powerful Roman Empire, John gives them this counter-reality. He talks about another kingdom. John talks about another king, and basically what he's going to tell them over and over again, he wants them to live in the counter-reality of the conquering Lamb. That Jesus Christ is the lamb that came and conquered sin and death and the enemy on the cross, and he will come back again one day, and he will bring judgment. But until then, believers are to live in this counter-reality of the conquering lamb. Now, here's some art here. I'm sure you're probably wondering, what is this? I think it's awesome. It's actually the book of Revelation. And it's unfolding throughout history until the end. You see things may be a little dim here at the beginning. We move, we move the return of Christ, the new heavens and the new earth. I think it's pretty cool. God's plan is still unfolding. His return is assured. So let's go ahead and jump into chapter 1 of Revelation. Chapter 1 of Revelation. Last book in your Bible. Let's go ahead and stand as we read this together. It's the only book in the Bible where it's mentioned that there is a blessing for reading it and hearing it. So let's be blessed as I read chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. Even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from God, from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. You may be seated. What I want you to take note of as we go through this, this may be helpful, is we're going to see the reality of this world versus the counter-reality of the kingdom. We're going to see that on and off as we go through the passage this morning. You can take note as we go along. So, what we're going to do now is we're basically going to go verse by verse and see what the Bible says. I'd love for you to be able to go home and just read the Bible when we're done here and go, oh, yeah, we just talked about that. So, let's do it. Verse 1 The revelation of Jesus Christ. Literally, this says the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. To us, when we think about apocalyptic uh, literature, it's more of a genre that lays out the complete destruction of the world before the end, and there's plenty of that in the book of Revelation. However, the idea behind this word apocalypse is more along the lines of revealing or unveiling those things in the spiritual realm and making them known in the reality of history. We can know about God's counter-reality because he is revealing it to us, and notice, it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not just a revelation of Jesus, but take note that it's about Jesus. It's about his coming. It's about his character. It's centered on him, his blessings and his judgment. If you want to put it all together, the, the revelation is the unfolding history of God's work in Christ. Good summary there. The revelation is the unfolding history of God's work in Christ. Take note that it is a single revelation. This is not the book of revelations. There's a lot going on in this book, but this is the book of revelation, and it is the last book. So when someone knocks on your door and they want to tell you about another revelation for Jesus Christ, say, no, thank you. I have it right here. Here is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus received this revelation, notice, he received it from the Father with the intent of making it known to the church. Verse 1 again, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants. God the Father gave the revelation to Jesus to show his servants the future reality. God is letting his church in on his plan, and the mediator is Jesus. You can know what's going to happen. You can know this counter-reality because God is revealing it to you through Jesus. God is showing you what's going to happen. Now, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, it's, it's kind of like the game Pokemon Go, for sure. Now, for those of you who don't know what that is, it's totally okay. Okay. Uh, but here's the deal. There are creatures, Pokemon, everywhere. I don't know if there's any in here right now. There may be. But you cannot see them unless you see them through your phone. I was talking to my brother about this. He works in Dallas. He said that the, the founder and CEO of their big, big company, he's a really old man now and people kept coming into his office, because apparently there was one in there, and he, he has no idea what's going on. He's like, "How did it get in here?" And, and the only way that he could see it is if they said, "Hey, look through my phone, and then you can see it." How do we know the counter-reality? How do we know what God is up to? We have the word of God. We have the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is how we see the counter realities to counter that of this world, that there is another king and that there is another kingdom. We can know because God has made it known to us through Jesus. Keep going. He says that he's made this known The things that must soon take place. What are the things? What are the things? In my my Bible here, the same in yours, it would be the discipline of the churches, uh, the tribulation, enemies defeated, the return and reign of Jesus, new heaven and new earth. And it tells us that these things must soon take place. At the end of verse 3, it says, for the time is near. And there have been books written and commentaries go on and on about what does it mean Soon. And there's a lot of opinions. I'm just going to throw one out to you, which I think makes sense to me, on this idea of soon or the time is near. Because if I'm just reading the book, what I am seeing from the Word of God is that some of these events are happening in the first century, right? Jesus is speaking to the churches, He's offering them blessing and discipline. So I would think some of these are soon to unfold in the churches. But at the same time, there seems to be repeated events throughout history of Jesus' judgment and blessing. But I think that all these are leading up to what we have the bulk of the book, the specific end time events before the return of Jesus, of his judgment and blessings. So when I'm reading this and I see the word soon, to me it means the ball is starting to roll. It is going. It is gaining momentum. It is, has this trajectory that all the details of Revelation move toward this great climactic event of Jesus Christ coming back. And we're in the middle of that right now, or we're in the midst of that right now. The soon is taking place. God is still moving right now until Christ comes back. Keep going. Verse 1 it says, He made it known. By sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus, even to all that he saw. So the instrument is Jesus, and he's going to use uh, an angel to convey his revelation to his servant John. In turn, John will bear witness to the church. Here is the chain of communication the Father to Jesus, to an angel. To John, to the church, that's the chain of communication. Now, occasionally, the Father will just speak directly to the, in the book of Revelation, or you'll have the angel directly, or you'll have Jesus Christ directly. But, but it's usually the Father to Jesus to an angel to John to the church. And once again, the main content is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. It's God's plan and work in Christ, especially his return. That's the line of communication, and that's the content focused on Christ and specifically his return. But get this. It's not just a revelation to be known, but to be obeyed. Look at verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. This is not just information. This is not just for dates and specific times. I know people read Revelation, they get so pumped up about dates and times and when's this going to happen. But the Revelation demands a response. Now, many of you may have grown up in the church. Part of the reality of this world is people will say it's okay to be religious, it's okay to know content, but just don't be too serious about it. Don't actually do the stuff it talks about, right? But the counter-reality in the Word of God says, look, 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 don't just hear it, don't just know content, but do something, obey. It's not just meant to be known, it's meant to be obeyed. And another one of the, the counter-realities, it says, no, you can't obey that book. The reality of the world says, you, you can't know the future. No one can know the future, right? Uh, when I go out on the streets and I talk to people about Jesus, I ask them a question. I say, where is our world headed? And most of them say, you can't know that. There's no way you know where our world is headed. And as a Christian, you're supposed to say, yeah, I, I know. You're not being arrogant. But you know where our world is headed. You have 65 books of the Bible leading up to the 66th book of Revelation and you can know where our world is headed. And and as we head there, you're meant to hear, listen, and obey. Let's keep going. Verse 4. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Well, that's interesting. It, it indicates that this is not only a prophecy, but this is a letter. These are actual seven historical churches that are, are addressed, and they probably represent a lot of other churches even today. And Jesus is going to give his commendations and his warning to these churches in chapters 2 and 3, which are meant for us as well. Just wait if that time's coming. Pick it up again in verse 4. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is the common from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth." This may not mean much to you, but imagine being in one of these seven churches and you're under persecution. It's, people are, are coming to your house and they're taking some of your family members away and they're throwing you in the Colosseum and some animals are eating you and some of your brothers and sisters are being burned and you have a, a Roman ruler and, you, and you're, you're in your church and, and you're weak, right? And you're persecuted. And here is a letter and you receive a blessing from the Trinity, the Father, The Son and the Holy Spirit, the blessing is right here, offering you grace and peace in the midst of your persecution. You are listening. And we are told of the Father. He's referred to as the one who is and who was and who is to come. He's sovereign over time, and he's offering his people grace and peace during difficult times. And it also talks about the Holy Spirit. And if you notice again, the Holy Spirit is described here at the end of verse 4 the seven spirits who are before his throne. That may sound confusing. Is it the Father, the Son, and the seven spirits? No, it's just a description. It's referring to the Holy Spirit. There are other times in the Bible, specifically in the Old Testament, and even later in Revelation, where it's just a a description of the fullness and the completeness of the Holy Spirit. And notice that grace and peace also come from Jesus. He's described... As the faithful witness. Can you imagine this church? They may be having difficulty witnessing because they're being persecuted. They're saying Jesus was the faithful witness. He witnessed to the religious leaders that were persecuting him. He he was a faithful witness under Pontius Pilate. He is the faithful witness. And he's also the firstborn from the dead. In his resurrection, he guarantees the resurrection of other believers. When the dead in Christ rise, I'm not sure who's going to be the first to come out of their grave, but we know Jesus came first, right? We look to him and his resurrection and we will all follow. And that blessing also comes from the one, you see it? He is the ruler of kings on earth. He's the ruler of our next president. He's the ruler over ISIS. He's the ruler over the Roman Empire. They may think Caesar's the one who is the ultimate ruler, and that is not the case. For these early believers, their world may be out of control. But John's like, hey, man, counter-reality. God is sovereign. He is in control. There is a move here. And in the meantime, grace and peace to you from the one who is sovereign and control, his Holy Spirit, the resurrected Christ, ruler of the kings of the earth, grace and peace to you, must have really strengthened the church. John continues, oh, he just continues to push against this unstable and insecure narrative promoted by the world. Look what he says in verse 5 again. He says, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, And made us a kingdom, a priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Here is reality right here. Jesus loves you. If you are a believer in Christ, you are freed from your sins through his sacrificial death on the cross. You see it, the conquering lamb Shed his blood to free you so that you can know him. You're forgiving. This, this has got to counter the narrative that says things are going wrong. Things are going, uh, falling apart. Things are so wrong. That means that you are wrong. You have picked the wrong team. You've aligned yourself with Jesus and it's not going so well. And, and he's pushing them and saying, no, 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 no. You are forgiven. Your world may feel like it's crumbling, but you are loved. Nothing can separate you from God's love. And notice it also says that they're part of a kingdom and and priest. They're part of these stable worshipers. Just as a priest in the Old Testament would be about worship, so all of God's people are worshipers. And we worship God in this stable kingdom with glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, so far, Revelation has been good. You should be saying, amen. Preach it, brother. It's sweet stuff. This is the best. Gets even better. This is the best part. This is the best part. That there is coming a day when God's counter-reality will be the only reality. I'm going to say it again. There is coming a day where God's counter-reality will be the only reality. Here is the main thrust of Revelation verse 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. This verse here, if we had time, oh, we could, we could do this. But this verse here is a combination of four verses. You can write these down. Look at your your version. We're not going to look at them today. You can look it up later. Daniel 7, 13. Zechariah 12, 10. Matthew 24, 30. And John 19, 37. You can read those later. But I want this verse to grab you. Are you catching the urgency and the seriousness? It says, behold. Pay attention. Get ready. Jesus is coming back. The same lamb. Who conquered sin on the cross is coming back to judge. We, we sang the song earlier. Says the Lamb is coming for a fight. The Lamb, Jesus Christ, is coming in judgment. It will happen for sure, and the whole world will see him. Not just those who have literally pierced him, but all who have pierced Jesus Christ through their rejection. They will wail on account of the judgment and wrath that is coming upon them. Even those who reject Jesus will face wrath and are accountable. I know we don't talk about wrath. I know we don't like to talk about judgment, but I can, I cannot, I cannot get rid of the word of God. If you throw out judgment, if you throw out wrath, then you are totally throwing out the gospel. Because the gospel is that Jesus has rescued you from God's wrath. God's anger and wrath was poured out on the conquering lamb on the cross. And those who put their faith in Jesus can be forgiven. But those who do not put their faith in Christ are rejecting him. And there will be a day of accountability. There will be a day of judgment. There will be a day of wrath. And it's coming. And there's coming a time where life, as we know it, will not always continue. But Jesus will come back, and he will usher in the fullness of God's reality. And there will come a time where we will say, this is a wonderful verse. I'm going to put it up for you. Revelation 11. Revelation 11:15. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. There is coming a day where God's counter-reality will be the only reality, and it will for sure happen. There will come a time where God will usher in the fullness of his kingdom, where Jesus will reign. It is for sure going to happen. God is sovereign, and he is in control of history, and he will pull off his reality in line with his king, Jesus. Finish that with verse 8 to show you that God's going to make it happen. He is sovereign. Finish that with verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. Who is and who was and who is to come? The Almighty. This verse points to the sovereignty of God as he is the Alpha and the Omega, which is the first and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. He is sovereign over the beginning and the end and everything in between. He is the Almighty. He is the one who is and who was and who is to come. He is sovereign over the past. Okay, let's just do this together, okay? God is sovereign over the past, all of history, right? We all can agree. God is sovereign over the future, where everything is heading, the return of Jesus Christ. We all can agree, right? All right? How about this? God is sovereign over your present. You're like, yeah, I'm not so sure about that one. Yeah? Yeah? Isn't that the way it feels sometimes? Okay, God, I realize that you've taken care of history in the past, even my past, and I understand where this world is headed. But right now, right now, it seems as if you're not in control. Like he can create the world and and save us through Jesus, and Jesus can come back, and right, right. But right now, not so sure. And I just want to tell you that the God of your past and the God of your future is the same God of your now. And he's got you. Doesn't, doesn't feel good sometimes, I understand that, but he's got you. He's working out his plan even in your life. And he, what he wants from you? He's like, what does he want from me? If I'm following him, I trust him. Well, what is he? he wants you to commit to living in the counter-reality of his kingdom. That's what he's asking. Commit to seeking him first and his kingdom. He wants you to commit right now where you're at to live in the counter-reality of his kingdom. That's what he wants. My two oldest kids, my son's 17, my daughter is 16, they really have liked this book called Into the Wild by John Krakauer. Anybody read that book, Into the Wild? Anybody? Lots of people, okay. It's a story about Chris McCandless, a guy. Basically, he's abandoning it all, right? He's abandoning it all to follow this dream and this calling. He was was living, I guess you could say he was living his own counter-reality outside of the norms of civilization, outside of what he called this sick society. So here's what he does. Graduates from college. he went to Emory, gave away all of his savings, burned his remaining cash, cut up his social security card, and he cuts up his driver's license, and he sets out on this this calling into the world where he's just living living day to day. He travels around America, travels into Mexico, he's headed to Alaska, he's living off the the grace of others, and he's living off the land, and he's no turning back. And he, he, was to, he was determined to live this counter-reality, and he basically ended up in Alaska, and he lived his counter-reality away from the norms of civilization, and away from the sick society. He lived it all the way to his death. And I would say there is some similarities to what we're calling for here. Basically, that's the kind of commitment in the spiritual realm and following Jesus in the physical realm as as well. That's what Jesus is looking for. He's not looking for you to separate yourself from society and go away. No. He's asking you to follow him. To commit yourself to live this counter-reality even when you rub shoulders with those who don't know Jesus. Even when the compromises come up and say, no, no, I'm going to live in the counter-realities of the king and his kingdom until he comes back. And Jesus is calling for you to make that commitment. And today is a great day to make that commitment. As as most of you in here, probably about 50% of you are students, school's about to start, a lot of you are freshmen, this is a great time to make a commitment that no matter what happens, no matter what temptations come your way, that you're going to follow Jesus, and you're going to follow his ways. I know there's stuff, you, you do not even understand that stuff is going to be thrown at you. And you say, no, no. I'm going to follow Jesus through rejection, through saying no, through walking a certain path. I'm going to follow Jesus. And for the rest of you who are not in school, you're maybe you're in the grittier part of life. You, you, you don't ever think that, oh, I'm no longer a student. I'm no longer tempted like I was when I was young. Not the case, right? Not the case at all. Still great temptations thrown at us by this world and the evil one wants to trip you up even into your old age. Make a renewed commitment that you are going to live in the counter-reality of the king until he comes back and usher in the fullness of the kingdom, that no matter what, you will not compromise, you will not accommodate, you will follow Christ, you will follow in his kingdom, no matter what. I think it's appropriate, if that's your heart, if that's what you want, I think it's appropriate to make that commitment right now. We have no altar, okay? So you can't do a little altar call. We come up and everybody makes the commitment. So how about we do this, a reverse altar call? If you don't want to make the commitment, you come up here. Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so I'm just going to assume that you want to make that commitment where you're at right now. That wherever you're at in life, new beginnings are more of the grittier parts. You're going to commit To follow Christ and His kingdom until He comes. And I want to lead you in that time of commitment. I want to lead you in that time of, of prayer, of committing your heart to the King and His kingdom. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Wherever you're at this morning, maybe you have strayed, take this time to confess your sin and repent and tell Jesus that you're committed to him and his kingdom no matter what. For those of you who are in a new phase of life, college, a new baby, a new job, a new degree, something just new, commit to walk in His ways, no matter what. For those of you who are weighed down and life is pressing and the temptations seem great, commit walk in the realities of the kingdom no matter what. And Lord, what I ask of you, as you spoke to your burdened and church that felt weak, and you said grace and peace to you, may you give my brothers and sisters here grace and peace as they follow you and they walk in your ways and they make difficult decisions, decisions that even hurt them financially, hurt them relationally, they're going to stick to you and your word until you come. Give them grace. Give them your peace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.